Welcome, welcome, welcome back to Let's Talk Diaspora. And today I hope you have your cup of coffee or two cups of coffee. I know Bud might need two cups sometimes, but um, we've got a, a bunch ahead of us. Today, our focus centers on the important topic of sharing our faith with Hindus. Engaging in such a conversation or these such conversations may invoke discomforts for some individuals, primarily because of the complexities and diverse beliefs within the Hindu faith. Hinduism's belief in multiple gods, the concept of karma and the use of practices like incenses, chants, and yoga can appear unfamiliar and even intimidating to many. However, it is crucial to approach this subject with sensitivity and a genuine desire to foster understanding and build bridges between Christians and Hindus. Welcome. Thanks for the introduction, Rebecca. That's that's so, so true. If you remember whenever we had our conversation with Vlad Masri, we were talking about bridging barriers between Muslims and Christians. And really the focus of our topic today is to begin to have those conversations. And so I am not an expert and and what that looks like i have some some experience i have some ideas but we said hey we want to get someone who who is further down the road from then most of us who are listening and so that's why today we have a special guest on the podcast to guide us through this topic ken roberts is joining us ken has walked alongside high caste hindus for 15 years in both india and north america ken loves to help train and equip others in cross-cultural communication Indian culture and Hinduism. Welcome, Ken. Why don't you just start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and how the Holy Spirit has led you to love and share Jesus with Hindus. Thank you, guys. This is a pleasure. Um, really, it was definitely the the Lord's plans and paths uh, kind of redirecting my life from a corporate career, something that I was pursuing uh, back in college to then changing my priorities and giving a heart for just other parts of the world, which uh, kind of mobilized me to get to go and serve and and be in South Asia, where, uh, you know, we jumped in the deep end, uh, getting to love um, high caste Hindus in, in major cities, students and professionals. Um, but they're making a lot of mistakes and wonderful mentors the Lord has brought us. You know, we learned uh, wonderful things uh, about the culture and the people and just how to bridge uh, good news in a way that makes sense in their worldview. So we love taking what we've learned and then passing it on to help others who are trying to love their Hindu friends. Well, and I love that you're saying that we're always learning, uh, that you've been learning, you continue to learn, and you're passing on what you're learning to others. Before we dive deeper into this subject, because it can be one of those uncomfortable middles um, that we're talking about this season, um, let's lighten the mood a little bit and tell me what's your favorite me memory or maybe a fun story of walking with Hindus towards Jesus. Yeah, I'd say uh, it was really hard to, to pick a, a favorite memory, but I'd say just that if I have a memory of it's, it's the families, you know, and those deep relationships with families, um, you know, living in South Asia, every day is a crazy adventure. It's never boring. You know, there's crazy festivals with millions of people, you know, and we got to interact and meet with very powerful, influential people and leaders of the, the, the country and the society. And as we've traveled, but my, I've always go back to my favorite memories are 
the the families and the way when Indian families treat me part of their family is something very special. The Indian household's a beautiful thing to get invited in and you know be treated like an honored guest um, and loved like a family member. And it's something that we really can't comprehend in our Western culture. Uh, but my favorite memories are always about Indian festivals or weddings. You know, the food the dancing, you know, just the, the joyfulness. And it's uh, very meaningful, very beautiful. And those are the things I've always cherished the most. So, Ken, you mentioned dancing. Do you, do you, are you, are you like a really good Indian dancer? Like, do you, do you, do you fit in? Um, thankfully, when it comes to like music and dance, you don't have to be good. You just got to try. Uh you know, there's there's no such thing as being embarrassed in Indian culture. So as long as you're out there, you know, uh, trying your best uh, and shaking something here and there, you know, they, they love it. Uh, and it just it's so much fun. You know, music, dancing, it's a big part of the culture and communication. And uh, even if you feel embarrassed or, you know, or timid, just got to jump in and do it and uh, they'll welcome you in. Wow, that's I think that's a good segue. It's a good analogy because when I think of like people wanting to be, you know, followers of Jesus that fish for men, um, we don't always have to know everything. It's like, it's just get started because, you know, think of Jesus. He said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He doesn't say like from day one that you are. It's like, but we have to, we have to do it. So it's like an Indian dance. Like we're just getting out there and the Lord, the Lord is pleased with just getting out there. So that's, that's really the topic of our conversation today is, you know, sharing our faith with Hindus. And so one of the questions I want to start with is what what do you believe is the most significant challenge Christians face when sharing their faith with, with Hindus? And it yeah. could be like, you know, negative things that you've seen, but what's what's the biggest challenge? Uh, sadly, there's dozens of challenges. Um, one of the books I'll recommend at the end even dives into a lot of them. So for just the sake of time, I'm going to share the top three because uh, you can't even really boil it down to one. Um, the first one I'd say of uh, challenges is that Jesus is viewed as the foreign God. You know, most Indians, you know, in, in the Indian subcontinent, they've got thousands, millions of their own gods. And both with Christianity and Islam, they came in through colonization and invasion from uh, other parts of the world. And so Jesus is viewed as the foreign Western Christian God, the God of the Europeans, the God of America, the God of the colonizers. And so it kind of creates that view of Jesus is not for us. You know, he's for somewhere else from somewhere else. So that's the first challenge. He's the foreign Western God. The second is sadly, Jesus is also viewed as the low caste God. You know, India is about 80% Hindu, maybe 13, 15% Muslim. And then, you know, two to 3% Christian based on census. But the majority of the Indian Christians uh, who, you know, converted over centuries come from a lower level society background from the lowest castes, the untouchable Dalits, the, the tribal peoples. And so over 70% come from those lower rungs of society. And so that's created this stigma that Christianity is a low caste religion. Um, and so the middle and upper caste kind of, again, presume that, well, to become a Christian, I'm going to become a low caste person or I have to associate with low caste people. That's something that, you know, is, is bad and wrong that the enemy uses as a discouragement, um, again, in terms of social relationship and social status, which is a challenge and barrier. And the last one is, again, just with a lot of unique history in India, Jesus is more viewed as bad news than good news. He's viewed as the family breaker, 
the shame bringer uh, rather than good news and someone who brings blessings, which, which he should be. And so typically it's been extraction conversion where one person comes to faith, but then leaves the family. They change their government identity, lose the rights of inheritance, mess up marriage proposals, and they're always viewed as a black sheep. And it's never a positive blessing for the family and community. And that tends to be kind of the history of missions in India, which has a lot of, uh, you could say shrapnel or, you know, uh, damage left in the wake. Wow. One thing, just a follow-up question. And in previous season, we talked a lot about like the idea of, of people group and not, not like really being rigid in how we define it, but just saying uh, a people group or an affinity of people are, are someone who identify as like we and us and they and them. And mm-hmm. so really what you're saying is in India, a lot of those who have come to faith are not part of, it's not, it's, it's a different people group for maybe lack of a better term. Would that be correct? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. They've left their own people, their own community, their own oikos and joined now a different community, a different caste, a different culture. And there's a, a big gap in separation there. Can you have shared with us some of the things I, I think of it in this way that we're looking at from a Hindu's point of view, looking at us as Christians. So what are some of the misconceptions that we as Christians um, put upon Hindus and in looking at Hindus? Yeah, great question. Uh, one of them is I think it's easy as us as Westerners or Americans, especially to assume all Indians and all Hindus are the same, you know, oh yeah, we're all American. They're all Indian, but India is so diverse. And a lot of people don't understand the immense diversity that every Indian is different. Every Hindu is different. Every state in India has multiple different languages. There's thousands of languages in India, thousands of caste, dozens of religions, And so that's why India has over 2,000 unique people groups, most of them unreached. And so each one of those people groups, you know, is going to need something different. Um, If you go 100 miles in every direction in India, you're going to get a different language, different caste, different gods, different culture. And we have to be willing to understand and adjust for that diversity. Um, Another big misconception is that people think Hinduism is a religion which it's not. That's something the British kind of coined about 150 years ago, trying to organize and manage India with these civil law systems. But rather, Indians would say that Hinduism is a way of life. It's more about a culture and society uh, with hundreds and thousands of religions and spiritual beliefs within it. So Hinduism isn't a religion, but it's a culture and society, which will then change, again, your understanding and approaches. Um I think another misconception that a lot of Western Christians have is that people kind of tend to know their brand of Christianity, whether it's their culture or their domination, and they sometimes assume that their version is maybe the only one that exists or is acceptable. And then sometimes they try and import or force that onto others, which has happened a lot in India um, and creates challenges and, and misunderstandings and misconceptions. And I think another one too is just a lot of people don't understand how far away your typical Hindu starts from Lord Jesus. Um, I would say Hindus, especially high caste, are the most unreached in the world, the most unreached in America, and they start farther than from Jesus than any other culture or religious group. And so typically in the negative. And so just the, the time and the things that are required to get them moving forward and understanding who Jesus really is, is different than a lot of other contexts. Uh, so just understanding that uniqueness and just 
as we talked about the willingness to learn about culture, worldview, and I'd say just like me when I started, you know, a lot of us are very ignorant about that. Um, we don't understand that as Westerners. And so taking the time to learn about Hinduism, Indian culture, what's meaningful to Hindu people um, is, is just really important that, you know, a lot of our Western Christian and ministry methods don't really connect and resonate well with Eastern culture people. That's, that's a great point. Um, so at least from my, my understanding from, from a Hindu perspective, uh, experience um, is really, really important in understanding reality. In, in sharing with, with, with Hindus, what, what role does, does the experience play in that? That's huge. Uh, that's one of the most important things that we learned is, you know, in, in Western culture, we define truth in our head, in our brain. It's truth, knowledge, understanding. But Eastern cultures, the Jewish people in the Bible, uh, Jesus's culture, you know, Hindus, Muslims, Buddhists, they define truth in their heart through relationships, experience, and emotions. So we're trying to give people truth from our head, but they need truth in the heart. And that's just a huge cultural difference. Um, and so helping people experience Jesus, his peace, his power, his love, sharing your experiences as well. Um, that's what's going to really resonate and connect rather than apologetics, logic, illustrations, and kind of what we're, how we try to communicate truth in Western culture. Yeah, great. The, the focus of our second season of Let's Talk Diaspora has been focused on this idea that, that there's this uncomfortable middle, that almost every topic has ditches on each side. And we're just proposing that the, that the way forward is somewhere in the middle. Um, so in Christian circles, there are various approaches to contextualizing the gospel in general, but specifically to Hindus. If someone, maybe you can just give us some principles, but really speak to those people who have maybe already kind of breached this idea of contextualization. How can mm. we think biblically about contextualization to Hindus? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I love that you use the word uncomfortable. I think something that we've really valued and come to learn is that it's our job as messengers, as ambassadors, it's our jobs to become uncomfortable so that those who are receiving the message can be comfortable and it makes sense. Mm. Um, and that's kind of the paradigm we see from Paul. Um, but I think the first thing is I just really encourage people to study the word. I, I as much as we do study the word and in, in theology in America, I don't think people have ever really studied the Bible from the lens of cross-cultural ministry and really studied it from that angle when I talk to people and they're kind of shocked that that you could even look at that and look for themes. And so there, I, I do think there is a biblical basis of cross-cultural ministry, both across the Old and the New Testament. And if you had to summarize it into one word, I'd call it incarnation, um, the idea of becoming like, adapting. And there's stories and examples from cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation, um, of how God in the Old Testament took many things from the local pagan cultures of Egypt and Canaan and adapted those things and repurposed them for his, his work, his glory, or the worship of the Jewish people. Um, just wasn't creating things from scratch. And then we see the examples of Jesus and Paul and the disciples, again, also incarnating themselves, adapting to the people in context of audience that they were serving. Um, in the perspectives course, if you guys are familiar with perspectives, you know, they use the language of, you know, the Old Testament model of ministry for the Jewish nation was called attraction. Or maybe it's Texan. It's y'all. Y'all come. Y'all come be like us. You know, um, 
But the New Testament model of ministry of Jesus is to, to go and tell, to incarnate, to become like. Um, and then Paul reaffirms that, you know, with 1 Corinthians 9 of becoming all things to all people, Jews to Jews, Greeks to Greeks, slaves to slaves, free to free, you know, Hindus to Hindus, Muslims to Muslims, Buddhists to Buddhists. And so it's the job of the messenger to adapt in 1 Corinthians 9. But 1 Corinthians 7, you know, it's so that they can remain in the family culture, community, and place that God has put them. And so it's not the job of the people who are hearing to change. It's the job of the messenger to change. And I think as Paul strongly writes that, you know, just as the Gentiles don't have to socially, culturally convert and become Jews and get circumcised and eat kosher and give up, you know, pork barbecue, um, you know, he's very vocal about that in his letters. You know, if you aren't incarnated and if you aren't adapting yourself, uh, you're not going to be following the example of, of the Bible that we see of what needs to take place for cross-cultural ministry. Wow. This is a lot um, to really sink in um, and think about. Can you give us some practical examples of maybe how your contextualization has kind of changed and ad- adapted even over time as you've been working with Hindus and serving Hindus? Yeah, I think one thing too is, you know, we, we never stop learning. We never arrive. We always have to have this humble teachability. And one of the best ways to learn is from our friends from other cultures. So my Indian friends, my Hindu friends have taught me a ton about the Bible and helped me to understand the Bible better because the Bible, our, our book is a Jewish Eastern book. And if you're a, a white Protestant American like me, you know, I'm not Jewish. I'm not Eastern. And, you know, Jesus's Jewish culture is way closer to Indian Hindu culture than our Western American Christian culture. So when I study and discuss the word with Hindu friends, they actually help me see things in the Bible that my Western cultural and blinders inhibit me with. And so I learn a lot from scripture because the Bible is more closely to an Indian Hindu culture, maybe a Muslim culture than it is our Western Christian culture. And so being willing to learn from our friends and let them speak insight into what the word is saying, especially in the historical and cultural context. But for me personally as well, just the more I study scripture, the more I get to see these examples and themes and trends and the importance, and also just the expectation of adapting and incarnating ourselves as as good news messengers. And if we aren't adapting and incarnating our life and our ministry in the context we're serving, then sadly, we can actually be at risk of preaching a false gospel, um, expecting people to come be like our culture versus helping them to remain in their own culture. Ken, if, if there are, uh, cause this is something I, I run into occasionally. If there are Christian background Indian churches in mm-hmm. North America who, who have a, you know, leg up on someone like me who doesn't speak Hindi or Gujarati, um, how how would you begin to help them think through the process of contextualization, even though they're Indian, but Indian Christian background? Yeah, man, that's a great question. And I'm always careful with using the word contextualization because one, that word isn't in the Bible. And two, it's such a buzzword and gets paired with syncretism and, you know, other trendy missiology terms. So that's why I like using just more adaptation or incarnation, you know, which are kind of more biblical terms. Um but speaking specifically about Indian Christians, the Indian Christian churches, um, you know, there's wonderful believers in churches, both in India and in here in the diaspora, North America. But 
they're so in general, culturally different than your typical Indian Hindu, you know, uh, most of Western missions, especially Catholic and Protestant, the last, you know, 500 or 200 years really exported out and imported into India, Western Christianity and Catholicism. Um, So a lot of Indian churches look and function the same as our Western American and European churches. It's just the skin color is different and maybe they worship longer. And those are the major differences. So it does, while the people are Indian, the, the, the context and the culture is more Western. Um, and so that's going to be a big barrier and obstacle and is not going to be attractive to your typical Hindus. And so I think a big challenge for the Indian Christian church community is helping them to see that while they are Indian and while there's some generic cultural overlap, how they worship in the function and form is more Western and is not going to connect well with Hindus. It's not going to be reproducible and be able to multiply in Hindu families, communities, groups, and societies. And again, how can we not get that one Hindu to join your Western you know, Indian Christian church, but how can we get these Hindus to remain and, and worship and follow Jesus in their own culture and be a light in the darkness in their families and communities and casting vision for that. And it can be really hard for uh, these wonderful brothers and sisters in Indian Christian churches to be able to turn that corner because there's for so long been this just huge divides uh, culturally um, between Christians and Hindus in India. Yeah, that's so good. We We've often talked about like we, we want to see the gospel for every person and a church for every people. And, you know, you've said it already. We've talked about people groups, but it's it's um, just because someone's Indian doesn't mean that they are connecting of the same uh, culture, background. Uh, just one, one brief story. And then I really want to ask you about a question in the diaspora. It's just recently... Um, an Indian Christian brother and I, we were we were going out and, and meeting and connecting with Indian Hindus. And I'm, I'm not saying I'm good at this, but like I was able to connect better than he could. And um, and it was maybe just because I'm a little bit more aware of some cultural nuance if he was blinded just from that because of his his tradition. Um, but oftentimes we think like, Oh, well, that, that would be better. It's not, not always the case. It, everyone has to be like you, to use your word, adaptable. Uh, every culture is different. We have to approach it in that way. The, the question I want to ask about the diaspora, Ken, is you, you've, you've served in uh, South Asia and then now in the diaspora in North America. What, what has been kind of the main differences you have observed with high caste Hindus in the diaspora for, versus in South Asia? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, one, they're, they're still just as unreached here in America as they are, uh, in India. Um, you know, they're warned before they come over here. So sometimes they're actually even more skeptical about Christians and Christianity and Christian agendas. You know, many of the students are warned by their parents or grandparents, you know, you know, don't marry an American and don't become a Christian because these are the two things that are going to bring the most shame and disrupt our, our family. Um, and it's, still a very slow process uh, here in America. Um, I think one of the challenges is, um, especially in certain parts of the U.S., is all the Christians, uh, which I hate to say, but uh, Christians are the challenge because there's many Christians out there who have really good intentions, who have a heart for the lost, but they lack cultural understanding and cross-cultural ministry skills. And sadly, they're actually doing more harm than good and pushing Hindus farther away from the kingdom. 
Um, and that's a problem that we didn't have in India. Um, and so, you know, people who are going to go overseas, go through immense training, work, reading, study, learning. They know it's a huge learning curve. Um, there's these expectations to spend time and um, be good news alongsiders amongst these groups. But now when they're coming here, we kind of throw it out the window and think, well, I guess they're here, so it's going to be easier. And we don't have to learn and train and, you know, become equipped. And for some reason, there's a big disconnect there, um, which then, yeah, when you're working with people, spending time with people who are very far from the Lord and culturally different, you know, uh, so there's sadly many Hindus who tell us stories that have been hurt and burned by Christian outreach, uh, Western Christian, Indian Christian outreach in America. And we have to do a lot of damage control with our Indian friends because of that. And that's a really just interesting thing that we've observed here that we didn't really have to deal with on the other side of the world. What are some of the um, ways that would be best to begin relationships here with Hindus? Yeah, um, I think following Jesus' example of serving and blessing, you know, leading with serving and blessing, um, you know, figuring out what needs are um, and lead with love, you know. Um, so kind of cold turkey evangelism of just walking up to strangers or knocking on doors, it, it, that lacks the, re- the key relational part. Um, another great just example of Jesus, how he incarnated himself is just he did life with people. And the best way to build relationships in Eastern culture is through hospitality. So spending time in each other's homes, have chai, have coffee, have meals, you know, in Eastern cultures do relationships and this idea of reciprocity of back and forth of giving and serving and showing love and respect in these covenantal relationships. And so if you lead with serving and blessing, focus on authentic, genuine relationships, and that's going to open the doors for then, you know, to get to provide opportunities for your friends to experience Jesus and then, you know, getting to clarify those relationships and experience with good news and um, good news truth. Uh, typically in the West, we just lead with truth, but without relationship and experience. And that just doesn't really connect well with people from Eastern cultures. So just a follow up to that. So in the context of um, connecting and in a relationship, what t- tell us maybe just a couple of examples or the role that not necessarily preaching, but stories play in, in beginning once you have this relationship, beginning to um, share truth. Is there specific stories that you find that connect or what, what process do you follow? Yeah. Um, again, I think being a learner is so important. And so one, we have to be willing to step into their turf and their world before we want to invite them into our turf and our world. So going to their home, going to their events, going to their places of worship first as a learner, asking questions. And then I like to, you know, um, you know, one thing, you know, I've had thousands of spiritual conversations with, with Indian friends on both sides of the world. And when we've asked about spiritual things or asked their beliefs about God, never once have they pulled out a piece of paper and drawn an illustration and never once have they handed me a book to read, which is almost what we always do as Western Americans is draw an illustration or give them a book to read. How they heard, how they learned about spirituality growing up is through stories from their parents and grandparents, from singing songs, uh, reciting poetry, seeing artwork in the temples, watching theatrical plays, 
you know, reading comic books and watching cartoons as kids. So they're Eastern oral culture. And those are the ways they communicate. And those are the ways they learn about spiritual things. And so instead of our, you know, infatuation with ink and paper in our Western culture, we have to be able to pivot and repackage and bring good news messaging in their culture, which is stories, songs, and other types of art and, and oral medium. So it's going to really resonate with their heart. So the message doesn't change, just the packaging and delivery needs to change. Yeah. So for some of our listeners, that may be sounding like, okay, how, how do I, how do I do that? So Ken, what, what resources, you mentioned the resource already, we're going to be able to take everything that you share with us and put in the show notes, but what resources would you recommend to first ignite uh, people's passionate desire to build relationships with Hindus? And then the second part, like effectively sharing the message of Jesus with them. Definitely. Yeah. I'll, I'll mention some good, good starting spots. Uh, a couple of good books. One is Disciple Making Among Hindus by Tim Schultz, a guy who alongside um, uh, Hindu communities here in North America and saw really cool things happen. Um, and it's just his story. It's super practical. He's uh, a great mentor and really taught us about that idea of experiencing and, and how to help uh, Indian friends experience Lord Jesus and how to build those Eastern style covenantal relationships. So that book is just super practical. Um, so Disciple Making Among Hindus by Tim Schultz. Another great one is Christian Barriers to Jesus by Paul Pennington. You know, we just scratched the surface in this conversation about the many barriers of Christians and Christianity that Hindus have that get in the way of Jesus. And so this book is really insightful, really challenging. Um, and while it's written for the Hindu context, it applies to a lot of other religious cultural contexts and even for this growing secular non-religious generation in America as well. So those would be the two books I would recommend people to start with. Um, there's a great website called the Marg Network. Marg means path. There's uh, blog articles um, that people have written that are just really practical with good tips. They have a new online course called a long course. And it's just, uh, again, walking, talking through, you know, how to come alongside their, your Hindu friends in their spiritual journey. Um, great experts and even stories from Hindu background believers sharing their journeys in this, in this uh, online course. And then there's also the annual Rethinking Forum Conference, um, which is an annual gathering of people who are loving and serving in the Hindu context. And then for people who want to go a little bit deeper, there's something called Pranam, Pranam, um, which is a type of greeting in India. It's a Pranam Collaborative Co-Learning. Um, it's a teaching program that provides module uh, learning center programs designed to help participants both from Christian Hindu communities to learn with and from each other. It's the most thoughtful, academic, um, well-formed uh, online cohort course that you could go through. Um, and I, get to, I, I love being one of the guest speakers there, but really practical for people wanting to go uh, or serve here locally. Um, and yeah, it's just really well done. You learn a ton. Uh, one, just about the word and your own walk with Jesus, but then also a lot of cross-cultural and Indian Hindu specific stuff as well. And then there are other trainings out there. Uh, we love to do training um, with the Hindu context if people are interested. Um, and then there are also, in, speaking of oral stuff, you know, with orality and how to do storytelling, and also uh, songs and singing. Um, there's some good online resources and I'll share the links that you can put in the, in the show notes for people to also peruse there. 
Perfect. Thanks for, for those. I have one one final question. It's kind of out of order, so excuse it because we're, we're near the end. Um, but since we are focused on talking about the diaspora, sometimes we see people working with Hindus in the diaspora with the intention of going to South Asia. And so that they have like a season here. I, I've in my mind been weighing what are the pros and cons of them actually engaging in ministry here before going, knowing that it's actually just a short time. And, and really what I'm hearing you say is like, they're so far away, it takes some time. So even those types of people, where, where do you land? Is that beneficial, not beneficial? Oh yeah. I mean, I think anything that you can do to learn <laughs> uh, before uh, you go, um, the better, you know, um, the more time you can spend in relationship, doing life, um, learning the context, the culture, the language, you know, um, is, is so valuable. And so, um, I just, yeah, view it as a learning opportunity. And if, if you do end up going, uh, great, if you don't, it's still going to be valuable. Um, and so, you know, I think, yeah, if you view it with the learner's mentality versus what I'm going to accomplish before I go, you know, then you're going to be disappointed, but if, Hey, how much can I learn before I go, then it's going to serve you well. That's a, that's a good, good distinction. Thanks, Ken, for sharing your, your expertise, your experiences with us and all the things that, that Ken shared, we'll put in the show notes uh, just to really to begin to help you think through and equip you to build relationships with and share the love of Christ with our Hindu friends. So thanks for joining us on the Let's Talk Diaspora podcast. Haradi Jews are some of the most unreached people in the world. But God is moving in this community, and we sense that the time is ripe to increase our efforts to reach them with the good news. The key to this outreach is prayer. We invite you to journey with us into the world of the Haradium and to meet Haradi men and women, as well as the believers who serve them, and to join us in the critical work of prayerful intercession. Start learning and praying with us today with a free digital download, or you can request a free copy at upgnorthamerica.com forward slash resources.